0: thanks for tuning in my name's andre servin and you're listening to off the roost podcast brought to you by off the roost custom calls turkey calls for the serious hunter Join me and my co-host, Paul Myrdal, as we delve into the world of the wild turkey, covering everything from calling tips and tactics and hunting strategies to the latest equipment available, featuring interviews from special guests and custom call giveaways. We'll do our best to keep you up to date on this obsession we call turkey hunting. We appreciate you joining us. Now let's get on with the show. Hey hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Off the Roost podcast and this is episode 8. As always, I'm here with my buddy Paul. Paul, how's it going?
1: It's going wonderful. We um we got some couple things to get going here today. We couple do. To get
0: we have a and it is all call related and uh we are having the uh the
1: cut off. Yep. The we got the, a-
0: the great cut off of 2024.
1: Right. We got a we got a great guest coming up too.
0: Oh yeah. And Richard, just in time.
1: Richard, Richard Martinez. Yep, just That's in time.
0: Right. Yep, just in time. And he is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to hunting uh Osceolas. Um, which is a great episode. He's gonna, you know, break down all that stuff, but you know, he's you know, gets into detail about a lot of stuff, you know, what to do when they aren't talking. Which is a thing those birds like to do, from what I gather. Uh, yep. I've never personally hunted the osceolas. It is on my list, as I imagine it's on most people's lists. But, uh, you know, you could read any old magazine article or article online about how those birds don't like talking. Uh, yep. And we're referring to predominantly uh, public land osceolas because that's yep. what Richard hunts is public land.
1: He gets, you know, it's not, uh, he gets into a lot of the lay of the land too you know mm-hmm. what what you could expect down there not so much just with the birds he gets quite a bit into the topography and how it works down there
0: yeah very good uh, as i i imagine for him to kind of pick up on all these things i'm going to have to say he's probably a good woodsman to uh, to notice all of those things you know right right and then like he was saying there's times those birds will only gobble he'll only hear one gobble and then he's got to go off you know sign and all that stuff and right. That's right. all woodsmanship right there for right. for a guy to uh keep the hunt going when you've only had one gobble like that. Right. So
1: what do you think? Get um get the get the call giveaway out of the way now? Yeah dude, go ahead and let it rip. Alright man. So if you y'all haven't heard yet, we've got the um custom call giveaway. I'm gonna be giving away one of two calls that I made here, I, I got a walnut, all walnut, and a walnut catalpa call here, and the winner of the giveaway gets to choose which one he wants. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to ask a question here, and we're going to ask that question right now, right? We are. We are. So the, the question is, it's something, Who who did we get to play the guitar in the intro music to our episodes? And that, that question has already been answered and we'll probably add it again here in the future at some point. But you'll have to listen to the past episodes if you want to get that get that that answer. And then when you figure out who played the guitar in the intro, then you'll email us at what's that email, Andre?
0: Off the Roos Podcast at gmail.com. And mm. not only listening to uh, the prior episodes. In specific, we get into detail about it in episode four, I believe.
1: <laughs> wow! Just giving it away. Oh,
0: was I not supposed to do that?
1: <laughs> All right. So. Um, All right. Well, if you, when you get the answer, it's, it's not we episode, we want, episode
0: four. I don't know what episode it is.
1: <laughs> I don't. I don't know what episode it is either. I just know what's back there. All right. So what you're going to do is when you get the answer to that question. You're gonna email us at that email offtheroost at gmail.com. No,
0: off the roost podcast at gmail.com. Off
1: the roost podcast at gmail.com. Yep. And then the subject or title line, just put in call giveaway. So then we can screen our, our emails easier that way. And then the entry, we need to receive your entry by March 1st at 11.59 p.m. So eleven at midnight the the entries will no longer be accepted so when that'll give us a, that'll give us time to go through our thousands and thousands of emails and <laughs>
0: and, and uh for and uh, sent back uh, numbers yes and for um shipping purposes we're sorry but we are going to be restricting this to uh the uh 49 states lower 48 lower, lower 48 i'm sorry yeah
1: you know, the lower 40, 48. Yep. No 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 Alaska and no no Hawaii. And,
0: and so. uh I did see there are uh, some listeners in uh, other countries and we're sorry, we're going to have to stick with the US again for the same reasons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, so um and then what else um subject call giveaway entry must be received by First of April at eleven fifty nine. I thought it was first of March. Your first of March at eleven fifty nine. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And then um, anything else you could think of?
0: Um. No, it just. Uh, oh well. If you guys are interested and you guys want to get a little bit more details on these calls, if you check out our uh, Instagram page, Off the Roost Calls. Uh, or or Paul's page, uh, Cooley Creek Custom Calls, uh, and a TikTok Off the Roost Pod. There are some uh, little sample videos of uh, Paul kind of uh, displaying these calls, so that way you guys can kind of take a look at them and uh, kind of hear them one on one, and kind of kind of see which one which
1: one it is that you want to pick.
0: If uh, yeah. if you are the selected winner,
1: yep, and then and what I'll, what I'll say here is when we get your correct email with call giveaway and the title and the correct answer we'll send you back a number from one to however entries we have we'll send you a number that corresponds with your email that'll be your number and then when it comes time to do the drawing here on march 1st there it'll be march wednesday we'll be releasing it so when we do the that drawing on Wednesday, we'll do a Google number number generator, and it'll generate a number for us. And the email that has the number that matches the number generated by Google will have their choice of of one of these two calls here. And I will I will be here by this weekend. By the end of this weekend, I'll be putting up some YouTube videos here, talking a little bit more about these calls and showing them and playing them a little bit more for you. Nice. I
0: like that. Great,
1: really? cool. So, um,
0: I guess now it's, we got the now yeah, we got the cutoff. We do. So, if you guys remember, in uh, maybe a couple episodes ago, and Paul's mentioned it uh every episode, um, we were gonna have a little bit of a of a calling contest here, uh, kind of uh, it was a we're doing a cackle, right? I think it's a cackle. Yeah,
1: we're, gonna, we're gonna do the fly down cackle.
0: A fly down cackle, and uh. I guess we're gonna have you guys uh, decide who you guys think the winner is,
1: right? Is that is that what we're doing? Yeah, I mean if they if they want to get involved, they can email us and and tell us who they think the winner is. But the the reason I was I was kind of getting into this is you know for fly down cackle. I mean, is it a call that you use? This is a call
0: that I just made.
1: The, the not the call that you're using the actual fly down cackle. Do you use it when you're hunting at all? Do I actually um? And if you do, what type of circumstance would you use it in?
0: I would say I've only... I must have used a cackle, fly-down cackle, maybe a couple times, and it's out of desperation when he... One of two reasons. He either pitched down with a hen, and it's this, like, last move of desperation. Right. Or...
1: You'll be using it when he's already on the ground, then.
0: Yes. Or... Uh, if he pitches down and he's going in the opposite direction and maybe I've been quiet the whole morning maybe then I'll do it in hopes to turn him around
1: so uh, you'd just be doing just like a general cackle then it wouldn't be considered a fly down cackle. yeah
0: I try to maybe a, gro- a ground uh, cackle or something. yeah I guess so but I, I try to maybe paint it a little bit better than that um and then I think actually, I think I have used it in the instance where the bird, uh, no, that's about it. I was going to say maybe I, in an instance where the bird's not flying down yet, and I'm trying to convince him like, oh, hey, a hen just flew down.
1: Right. I I used to use it similar to what you use. I used to use it for locating a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, and it worked like a charm, but... Oh, yeah. All the time, most of the times when I called again, the turkey would be farther away, 200 yards away, and then he'd be farther away. So I'm thinking, with a lot, all my cackling that I was doing, I was getting the hens aggravated that were with him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when I cackle, he gobbled to me, and she'd be like, hen would go, "What? What's going on here?" And she'd lead him away. And the next time I hear him, they'd be twice as far away as when the original gobble was. So I mm-hmm. don't cackle so much anymore. As a as a ground type of deal is locating, but I will cackle, and I'll do it while they're still on the roost, and I'll use it if I need them to clear a barrier. Say like I want to get them to this side of the creek or this side of the fence line on the property line. Yeah, and I'll I'll hit them with a cackle, you know, if I need them to try to get on this side of the barrier, or if I'm real far away. And I'll, I'll hit him with a cackle, 'cause you know he really can't tell that you're not in a tree from, you know, 300 yards away. And I need him to—I need him to think that there's something going on over there that he needs to come check out. And yeah. I need him to hear it. So I'll—I'll I'll, I'll generally hit a cackle if he's—if I'm set up and he's two, three hundred yards away from me, then I'll—I'll I'll throw a cackle. On.
0: You know. That and that reminds me there was one time I, I used a cackle um, there was a um, a tom that was still roosted and I was heading to that ridge point that the, the tom was on I wasn't aware that there was actually already some hens on the ground on the ridge top and they were just kind of pecking and stuff and I ended up bumping one of the hens the hen did not cackle, she did alarm putt like a couple times and then just flew away and then so I just, you know, pop, 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 pop you know, just kind of made it sound like oh, I don't know, I guess like they spooked each other they bumped into each other and one of them left, but one of the hens is still there and that's the one that was cackling but the tom went quiet after that and it was over. Sure. Sure. My opinion is I actually think he ended up staying in the tree Maybe an hour after that. Because <laughs> uh, I think I later bumped him. Or no, unknowingly. No, com-
1: no confirmation on that, though?
0: Uh, I can't confirm it, no. But so I know he who, went quiet. Who,
1: who, seeing as I gave the challenge, you'll get the option to who starts this show.
0: Okay, so you know what I was thinking? Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> All
1: right, rock, paper, scissors.
0: We're only doing it once. All right. All right, ready? Rock, paper, Paper, scissors. We were both scissors.
1: Both scissors. Yeah. All right. Here we go
0: again. Rock, paper, scissors.
1: Ah, you win.
0: All right. So Who's I guess I'll go first? first then. All right.
1: right you go first.
0: So this is a fly down cackle.
1: Fly down cackle. You can you know, little baby yelps
0: and some clucks working into it if you want, and then hit us with the cackle just to make it roll a little bit easier. Am I allowed to stand up? Can I stand up? You can do whatever you want, brother. I don't want to be right up on the mic either. Right. All right. I got to pretend like I'm at Grand Nationals, though, so I got to drink some water. Oh, speaking of, that's going on right now, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, it's yeah. going to
0: be going on in right. on Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday. We'll make it out there one day, people. I just couldn't make I'm it dead. happen this year. Do I get a warm-up or just one and done? You can do two. All right. All
2: right.
0: That was one. I'm gonna go one more time.
1: All right. Ooh, coming cr- all the way down that hillside!
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: the second second one's a little better. You had a little more rest in it.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. So I'm going to ask you which which cackle do you want? You want the you want the juvenile? Mm. You want the intermediate, or do you want the old hen?
0: Oh, first of all, I appreciate the options. Always, always, I got to go with the old hen.
1: The old hen. All right.
0: Yep. was really good
1: that one, one kind of got up into the intermediate hand a little bit okay So we'll throw, throw one more old hen in there just do a quick one almost almost on the jake level
0: all right Nice. So those were. I'm gonna have to say, these are some uh, some hill country, pitching off the tree onto the ridge tops, kind of uh, kind of cackles. Yep, not real far. All right. Well, that okay. second one I did, I'm gonna have to say was a uh, big woods pines. Right
1: <laughs> down, down the ridge, out sure. The valley
0: down in <laughs> the bottom.
1: All right. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my juvenile hand here real quick. All right. And I'll I'll throw I'll throw a little bit into this one. This one this one's gonna have a little farther to go.
0: I like that. That was good. I think you're the winner, dude. I think so? <laughs> yeah.
1: That's right. You're going to get me on the soft stuff.
0: Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, all right, man. Cool. Well, so I think uh, I think with all of that, man, uh, you think it's about time we dive into the episode and give people all this awesome South Florida Osceola turkey hunting knowledge? You
1: bet. You bet
0: yep um everything
1: we need
0: to so let's talk about uh some turkey hunting but uh all right cool so with that said let's get to it you bet we're here with uh richard martinez and uh richard martinez is a uh a great turkey hunter that i found out about through uh, a, a meat eater episode and they did a uh a florida a south florida uh public land turkey hunt and uh you know richard seemed to kind of be the guide kind of the 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 navigating uh you know guide through that through that hunt so we are here with richard now so richard why don't you go ahead and uh tell us a little bit about yourself man
2: sure well first of all thank you guys for having me i appreciate it um about myself uh i'm live in florida south florida um i live in jupiter but i hunt all over south florida uh i'd say most mostly public land i'd probably hunt like 90 percent of my hunting is public land um but uh yeah i've been hunting i've only been hunting for about uh 10 years now um grew up mostly fishing didn't really hunt much hunt hunted a little bit with my uncles on my mom's side they hunted and uh, they kind of exposed it, it to me when I was a kid, and it o- always kind of like stuck in the back of my head. I always kind of thought about, oh man, I'd I'd love to get into that one day. And then finally, when I was uh, uh, done with college and 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 all that, it, I kind of had time on my hands, and and I had my weekends available, and I just just decided to c- kind of go out there and just try and figure it out, and and you know see what I could come up with, and. I was very fortunate to have some success early on and kind of like caught into a groove of it and it just kind of like felt natural and uh yeah i've just been going bonkers ever since i a deer hunt a hog hunt small game hunt but turkey hunting is really uh my passion my 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 big passion i always think about that as like the super bowl of the year in terms of uh the hunting season like yeah. The rest, I, I'm I'm just doing it because it's the season that's open and it's what's out there and what's you know that time of year. But I feel like I'm I'm thinking about turkey season all year long and and when it comes up, it it like I said, it really feels like the Super Bowl to me. Right. So. What
1: I, what I think I always say is um, there's turkey hunting season, and the rest <laughs> is just passing time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I love deer hunting, but I. I have the same thing every year. It's like, I, I get really excited about deer hunting and I get really pumped leading up to it and scouting it. And then, you know, those first couple of weeks, I'm like, yeah, it's deer season. And then it's just like, man, I'm so tired of sitting in a tree. It's just, I want to run. Yeah. I want a gun, you know, and that's what I love about turkey hunting is just being mobile and just, you know, picking a different spot, trying a different area, just moving around, covering as much ground as possible. And, uh, that for me is, is, is what's so exciting about it.
1: So now Richard, you say 10 years ago, is that when you started turkey hunting or is that when you just started hunting in general?
2: Both. Yeah. Yeah. I started out, I I would say Turkey was the first thing I went after. And then, um, just, you know, Turkey season ended. And then I was like, all right, now what, now I'm going to figure out deer. And, you know, I just. the next season to the next season to the next season and it just you know now i just take advantage of of each season as they come along
1: so it it looks like you do a little snipe button too oh yeah
2: yeah that's that's i call that my second favorite bird um we've got some really great snipe hunting opportunity down here um it's right right around this time of year as the as the water levels are starting to fall um we see them move into areas and and uh, yeah, it's just real fun hunting. It's real, uh, uh, you know. I, I'd say it's uh, upland uh, hunting's biggest kept secret or best kept seep- secret. No, yeah. You know, uh, sure.
1: Are you are you hunting them with a the dog, or are you? No, are you, are you hunting no, them I'm like just, ducks. Where you're waiting for them to fly by, or are you just no, wandering? just walking, just walking.
2: Yeah, just I'll just pick a big area that the water level's right, or it just seems like the the right habitat for them. And I'll just walk, I'll do zigzags, walk back and forth, and and just kick them up. Um, and then uh, here, you know, the biggest challenge with the with the tall grass we have is then finding them because you've really got a like I said, I it, it's not with a dog, so I'm just walking by myself, and and you'll hit them, and then you'll just have to follow them with your eye and you'll have to literally pick a blade of grass that you saw them hit on their way down and just keep your eyes on it and walk straight at that blade of grass till you find it. Meanwhile, as you're walking other ones are flushing and you have to like try as hard as you can not to look at them because the minute you turn away and look back, it's like, you just lost that blade of grass and you'll, you'll never find them. And it's like, it's like dropping a camo glove like in three feet of grass. It's just, yeah. it's gone. Yeah. Right. You know, that's, that's
0: how I am with gobblers, man. Like whenever, whenever I spot one, I learned if I take my eyes off of that bird when I'm moving around or something, <clears throat> he's gone. Like I yeah. won't be able to find him again. And this is mainly like when I see one on a field edge
2: mm-hmm. and I'm
0: trying to like, skirt through the woods
2: mm-hmm. to get
0: closer, I know it's a gamble because the second I take my eyes off of him, he's going to vanish. I'm not going to know where he went. And, and normally I end up making a mistake out of frustration at that point. But uh, I was going to ask, so what is it in particular that kind of pushed you into the turkey camp? You know, we all got our reasons and some of them are pretty similar, but I'm just kind of curious to hear what kind of pushed you into that camp.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, as I mentioned, it's, it's, you know, the running and gunning is really important to me. Um, just being mobile, um, being on my feet, moving around a lot. But uh, also the game itself, right? The the uh, you know the, the 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 checks back and forth between uh, turkeys calling, turkeys moving, are you moving? Am I moving? Should I move? Should I stay? Like all those sort of decisions, the whole psychology of it, um, really, because when it comes to deer hunting, it's it's really about patterning them. You pattern them, you understand their behavior, and then you sit and wait or you try and be where you think they're going to be. Um, but turkey's a little more complicated. Yeah. Um, it's not only patterning, which is very important. Um, don't get me wrong. But then it's trying to fool them, right? Because mm-hmm. for for instance, we we have to bring them into closer range, so that's that's a game in itself, a challenge in itself. Um, and then you've got an animal who's very wary, uh, spooks very easily, and sometimes acts exactly as you as you think it will, or is very predictable. And sometimes it's completely not predictable. Sometimes yeah. a turkey will just decide that he's going to gobble at every single one of your calls, but every single time he's going to get a little further away. And you're going to call again, and he'll gobble back at you, but he'll just continue to walk away. He doesn't have hands with him, and you don't understand why he won't come to you. You just don't oh, get yeah. it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can... You know, you can call softly. You can call great. You know, you can get really aggressive with the calling, and he just just doesn't change his behavior. And yep. then you've got another turkey who will do exactly what you want him to. Right? right. Oh, you'll yeah. call to him. He'll gobble. That you'll call to him again. The next gobble, he's right on top of you. And it's yeah. It's that unpredictability. I think that that draws me to it as well
0: yeah no those are all good reasons yeah so now, it sounds like heavy ha, on the chess match you know ha,
1: mm-hmm. I, have Have you been in florida for most of your life then it, it it's something yeah. you've been around with been around so you've been around you've you've heard the the you know turkey hunting and i'm sure you've seen them around whatever you're driving around what mm-hmm. what actually triggered you to actually start start hunting them or was it just well your- I, my,
2: my background was mostly like hiking and camping, like I'd, I'd always been engaged in the outdoors um but I always felt like even since I was exposed to hunting through my uncle's as a kid, like I always felt like hunting was the next level. It was not like when you think about hiking and camping,' there's, there's almost like a voyeuristic like version of of your relationship with nature you're just looking at it yeah. um but hunting felt like you were immersing yourself in it like yeah. you you're not playing a game anymore like this is for food like you're right. doing this thing and you're going to eat it afterwards so
1: yeah for sure it just
2: became yeah. so much more immersive so right mm-hmm.
1: and it, and i would imagine it probably draws on your predatory your predatory instincts from from, Absolutely.
2: You know. Absolutely. I mean, there's just things that light up in your brain that that just don't get lit up sitting at work reading emails, you know? Right. Oh yeah. Um. So that that was that was huge for me. And I mean, that that was a seed that, like I said, was kind of planted by my uncles when I was a kid, and it just it was just always there in the back of my head, just like kind of calling me. And then you know, one day I just decided let me let me try and figure this out, and and just went for it, and and just just scouted as much as I possibly could just covered as much ground as I possibly could. And and then just kind of started putting the pieces of the puzzle together.
0: Sure. Let me ask you this, man. So, so you got a guy, you as an example, but you know, it's like, you're going to try doing this. I imagine nobody's there kind of really teaching you or mentoring you through it. And then the public land option that you have available is the Florida swamps, mm-hmm. arguably some of the most intimidating uh, terrain that a hunter can face. Um, how was that, man?
2: Yeah, was that was tough, but it was also uh, very uh, formative. Um, and a lot of people uh, will hit me up uh for example on instagram and and just kind of trying to pick my brain for pointers and and you know new hunters just trying to get into it and 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 figure it out and get their feet wet and that's literally the only way i think you can figure it out and and literally in florida get your feet wet um just really immersing yourself in time spent in the woods um it's really the only way um, you can kind of pick up on the pulse of the woods. I read a bunch of turkey books when I was trying to figure it out. And um, as you can imagine, uh, a lot of those writers were people who had who were hunting the Ozarks and you know, people were hunting in in the south, uh, the southern states, as in you know Alabama, Georgia. Yep. Yep. and none of it was florida so the, the the knowledge there there was a basic like uh philosophy of turkey hunting there um but n- I, none of it could really speak to the terrain none of it was very specific uh I, I that i could take and really understand what i was looking at here um in the everglades so it was really important just to completely immerse myself and just spend as much time as I possibly could and just scout and, uh, scout absolutely as much as I possibly could and just cover as much ground as possible and just walking, 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 and then finding areas with lots of tracks, dropping a pin, walking, 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 walking finding other areas, and then triangulating those areas where you found lots of tracks and then getting there before the sun comes up and, and listening, you know, finding good spots, triangulated spots where you're making the most of your time in the morning by being in what you think might be the heart of their area, their core habitat, habitat area, you know, yeah. um, and getting in there early and listening for gobbles. And, and I I feel like that's, the only way you can really put things together, put the, pu- you know, the pieces of the puzzle together is just that really, 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 really immersing yourself with, with putting boots on the ground. So right. get it gets kind of cliche, but, you know, people ask me, oh, you know, what? it's just like you got to scout. Right. Really scout. You really got to scout. You really got to spend a lot of time there. And especially as you get close to <clears throat> turkey season and especially as, as the breeding season kicks up and fires up when you When you spend a lot of time around the birds, like you you also get a sense of what you can get away with and what you can't get away with. So you can kind of track birds that are gobbling, f- figure out where they landed, figure out where their uh, you know their strut zones are, and kind of like creep in see you know see their strut areas watch them for an hour and sometimes you'll bump them and then sometimes you won't and and you just kind of like adapt to their pulse or adapt to their the threshold to which you can get away with so that by hunting season you you feel confident in what you can and cannot get away with you know, right, and
1: sure. it, I mean, it—it's just you're getting experience whether you're hunting them or not. You're getting you're getting experience, and that's you know that's just going to make you a better hunter. I mean, as yeah. as, as you go on, um, you and you and Andre had touched on the habitat here a little, a little bit ago, and I'm I'm not whatsoever familiar with Florida. The closest I've been to Florida would be North Georgia, so I mean, I get it. It's it's the everglade swamps, but w- what are we looking at? I mean. I, From what I understand, it's like elevation changes of like a foot are massive. You know, are you absolutely? Are you looking? Are you are you kind of an all? Are you you got pines? You got hardwoods? Or 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 is it like a palmetto? Or are you got logging activity going on there? I mean, do you have to worry about tides? You know, in the Everglades, as far as water rising and lowering through the day. I mean, what are we looking at?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So water, water is a huge factor, as you can imagine, Florida, we have a very wet season and we have a very dry season. So, um, meaning, uh, they're, they're very extreme, um, our wet season, uh, peaks around September and our dry season peaks around probably like May. That's probably the driest time of the year. So, um, areas that could be under a foot of water in September um, could be absolutely bone dry, or even more. Even two feet of water could be absolutely bone dry um, come by May, even even by turkey season. Because um, once the water levels start to fall, they fall pretty fast, um, which really begins like like around February. They really just start dropping quickly. Um, so that means that. It's also tricky to think about where turkeys are um, at different times of the year. Um, They have have no problems walking through water, Um, but as you can imagine, they gravitate towards drier areas. Um, And it's also tricky to think about, like I've I've, uh, hunted other states and I've found that turkeys are typically near water. That's where you can find them. Um, here there's water everywhere. So that's not something that um, you really, really think about unless it's in an extreme dry conditions. And we yeah. do get that every once in a while, every few years during our dry season, that we'll be able to anticipate that those birds will be in the swamp. Mm-hmm. Um, So as you mentioned, um, habitat types do change um, within a foot uh, of elevation changes. So we're a very flat place. Florida is very flat, Um, especially South Florida. Um, We don't have a lot of elevation, um, but we do have a lot of habitat type uh, that depends on the elevation based on the water levels. So, how it, it's it based on their hydro periods, how long uh, or how, how, how many months out of the year those areas are underwater. So areas that are underwater for most of the year, certain types of plants uh, and certain types of ecology flourish like uh, cypress, like uh, like a swamp, like a cypress swamp, as you would Im- imagine um, your traditional swamp to look like. Um, other areas flourish and the, this is, isn't the, might not be the right um, uh, ratio. So I'm just throwing this out an example, like maybe 50% of the year they can be inundated with water, but the other 50% they can't. You know, it, that could determine if it's a pine island. Just just for example, um, a hardwood hammock uh, basically is our highest elevation and is typically. Out of water all year long. It'll go underwater, like if we have a, a, a like a flood event, like a hurricane or a tropical storm. Um, a, a hammock could go underwater, uh, but typically those stay dry all all year long. Um, and interestingly, there was a study recently, a few years ago, um, called the South Florida Deer Study, and they they had collared some deer and um, they were fortunate enough to get a hurricane within their uh, the study period and were able to track the behavior of the deer during the hurricane. And prior to the storm's arrival, they could actually see deer gravitating towards the hammocks, knowing somehow, maybe through pressure uh, the pressure dropping, that this rain was coming and, and th- this high water event was on its way because they actually have... The the tracking data showing them going towards these hardwood hammock areas that were typically always dry. So, a hammock is a great place uh, to find turkeys in, if the understory is relatively open. Yeah. Um, because there's also another as as important as as water is to our habitat and our ecology. So is is fire. Um, and if things have a regular uh, uh, burn rotation, as is like sort of the natural cycle with the amount of thunder and uh, with the amount of lightning we have, um, things should be burned like on a probably like on a three year cycle, um, which kind of keeps a nice understory, doesn't allow um, the understory to get very thick and choked out. Um, turkeys don't like, uh, areas that have really thick understories, whereas you can imagine it's really hard to walk through. I'm I'm sure you guys have all heard the saying, if, if, a you know, if a, if a turkey likes to walk through an area, a person likes to walk through an area, you can kind of predict where turkeys are based on like an ease of mobility. Um, you know, they're thinking about ambush predators all the time, so they kind of want, the ability to escape really quick um so fire is uh, an important uh part of our landscape as well so now you but, uh, uh, you were talking understory in the in the hardwood
1: hammocks mm-hmm. uh, would, would that be um would that be palmettos or is that can be just like some brush or something like that
2: so that could be palmettos palmettos uh like saw palmetto you find them uh you can find them in a pine island. You can find them in a hardwood hammock. They're a very, very common, very, very tolerant plant. Um, you can also we also have great big savannas that are just covered in in, in palmettos. Um, big expanses, um, especially as you get towards um, the Kissimmee River Valley, uh, and and as you move towards Orlando, Orlando, you'll get huge areas of just nothing but absolute like a sea of palmettos. Um but they're pretty common as long as it's not an area that that is predominantly wet if it's kind of like a a fifty percent dry uh or drier uh you'll be sure to find palmettos so that, sure. in the wetter wetter
1: areas then it's gonna be a, like a swamp grass or something
2: yeah, you're either gonna have um you're either gonna have a marsh uh or you're gonna have a swamp so a marsh. We have a lot of different grasses, um, sawgrass, for example, muley grass, um, different types of grasses that uh, will typically refer to them as prairies. And then, if it's dominated by cypress, then you'll you would refer to it as a swamp. Um, and then, how, if you're looking on satellite, there's different formations of swamps. So you may hear someone describe something as a cypress dome or a cypress strand. Um, A strand would be almost like a linear formation. If you're looking at it on satellite, it'll almost look like uh, the the closest thing we have to would be like a river. Um, And it's just like uh, a long uh, depression that the cypress trees have colonized, um, that the water is flowing. Um, but it's almost imperceptible because it's moving so slow. Um, A dome is more, if you're looking on satellite, like a round uh, shape you'll see. Um, And it's the same thing, but it's like a depression, almost like a bowl um, in the elevation cut out where the the cypress trees have, have colonized and kind of dominate. So you'll see two things. You'll see bowls that are dominated by uh cypress trees which we'll refer to as a cypress dome or you see a bowl that's uh dominated by grasses and we'll call those prairies all right those areas are generally pretty big uh they vary they 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 can be 50 yards across they can be 500 yards across um so it depends kind of on the water levels, like there's a lot of different factors um, that kind of determine which way, what habitat swings, but um, you'll look at some areas and it'll be a completely like polka dotted, like if you'll look at satellite, you'll just see all different circles. You'll see lots of different circles and circles and circles. And then you'll get there and it'll be like, one circle's a Pine Island and one circle's a Prairie and one circle's a Cypress Dome. And then other areas will be large expanses of pines with smaller prairies uh, kind of stuck in between the pines. And then other areas will be giant swamps with lots of cypress trees with just little islands of pines in between them. So it all kind of varies depending, um, again, on the water water levels, what the water does, um, and the elevation. Cool. So you get, know,
1: just getting back back to what you were saying about turkeys they'll they don't have a problem with walking through the water um so if you're you're set up or trying to set up on a goblin osceola there and you got the swamp in front of you you got the water between you and him but if he goes around you know out of the way to the right you know a couple hundred yards he'll stay dry land Will, will you do you see that they'll generally stick to the dry land or will they come right through the water to you
2: Uh, Both, so they'll typically cruise the edges. Um, Like for example, if we're if we were set up on a cypress dome, um, typically the center of the dome is going to be the deepest spot. So unless the water level is very low, chances are he's probably going to walk the the edge of it. Um, And both the deer and the turkey really love those edge habitats, like you'll find a lot of game trails, you'll find a lot of buck rubs, um, right on that, that transition zone between a Cypress Dome and a prairie. Um, for whatever reason, they just love cruising that edge. And so the turkeys typically I find will also do the same. Um, but again, if the water level is just right, a turkey will also walk straight through it and right at you. So I actually once had a turkey I was set up with a dome in front of me and there was like this beautiful lane that went all the way around the dome um, and he was roosted up along that lane. And, and of course I expected him to walk down that lane and I'm pointing the gun and I'm calling him and he's gobbling back and, and he goes quiet for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, five minutes later, pow, he hits me. And he's in the dome, like right in the middle. He just instead of coming down the lane, he just did an arc into the dome for whatever reason. And again, going back to sometimes turkeys read the script, and sometimes they just do whatever they want. Um, fortunately, I had enough brush in front on on my right side that I could pivot and turn around. And uh, thirty seconds or a minute later, he stepped out of that dome, and I shot him. But um, surprised me by actually walking through straight through the dome instead of the lane that he that, that I would have expected him to walk through. Sure, that For sure. Up, up in
1: northern Minnesota where I hunt, I mean, it, you think of it as big woods, but um, it's you know, as far as the way the habitat's broken up, it's similar to what you're going through, it's but it would be like a bog swamp, mm-hmm. so you got these big, advanced expanses of bog swamps with little islands of maybe some hardwoods or some aspens or something scattered around them. And when I first started hunting up there, I was like, I didn't like walking through them bog swamps. And I was almost 100% positive the turkeys weren't going to walk through it. But I, I learned real quick that that's not, that's not the case.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Again, that goes back to, you know, the unpredictability. And I, I think that's what keeps keeps me on my toes when it comes to turkey hunting and just keeps me so engaged with it is that they're if they did exactly what you thought they do all the right. time you would just get over it after a few seasons i right. think okay granted they weren't hanging out in the middle
1: of the bog swamp but they had they mm-hmm. had no problems crossing crossing them wherever they needed to yeah totally do you think you could call one across a bog swamp across the bog swamp
0: yeah, so. no, like you know, maybe it needs to cross like thirty yards to get to you.
1: I would think it would probably hang up on the other side and and wait for you to make the next move. I've yeah. I've tried it a few times and it hasn't worked for me, so I can't say that so, you can or can't. But I have. When done do it they yet.
0: cross them?
1: Well, they'll go they'll go around to high spots or something like that. Oh, or they'll wait for you to show up. I mean, if you if you get on one and he's in an island out in the middle of the bog or whatever, chances are. I probably wouldn't have been hunting there to begin with just because it would yeah. be so difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard, I was wondering, do you, so, and I heard you mention other States. So you hunted Florida. Where else have you hunted?
2: I've hunted Georgia, North Carolina, and Nebraska. Okay. And then I think, uh, I think you met the, the
0: meat eater dudes in like Idaho. Is that, is that correct?
2: yeah yeah it was uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with backcountry hunters and anglers uh but yeah i'm involved with them i started a a chapter here in florida and uh they do a convention every year and uh the meat eater guys were there they did like a live podcast at um one of these conventions and um i had the opportunity to meet uh steve and yanni and and uh we got to to talking about turkeys and and uh um, you know, Steve had mentioned that he'd been interested in coming down there and uh, he asked for my number. I said, sure, here you go. And, and I didn't expect him really to call me. Um, but a few months later, they did call me. And uh, and yeah, we started uh, at that time when they had actually called me um, was during the uh, open period to um, put in for our quota uh, draw system. And uh, I had suggested to them, you know, hey, if if you guys want a really great hunt, um, you know, you you should start building points. And and they thought that was a good idea. And they started putting in and and then finally uh, drew a permit.
0: Nice. Uh, Have you ever gone uh, like hunting in Florida on public, not on a quota hunt, but like just general open?
2: Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. I'd say most of my hunting uh, is without a quota, so it's uh, less likely that I that I have a quota. Um, yeah. As as our population numbers grow here in Florida, um, so uh, do the, the 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 opportunities and the the difficulty uh, to uh, obtain a permit becomes harder and harder. So. Yeah those opportunities usually takes for a good, a good permit. You're, you're probably looking at every three to four years, like a really solid, good permit. Um, there are some hunts that, uh, are sub, uh, quota hunts that you can definitely draw with, with, you know, two. uh, some of them in one point. Um, but yeah, it usually takes about three to four points to, to draw a solid hunt. So, if I had to wait every three to four years to to have a good hunt, um, I'd be I'd be hurting and and jonesing pretty bad. So I do a lot of hunting on on uh, open uh, uh, what you call it an over the counter hunt. Is it pretty busy? Like, oh is yeah, it pretty packed yeah. in the general. Yeah. Yeah, I would say um it's probably you know like anywhere like probably where you guys hunt it gets slammed opening weekend and then it just kind of goes down from there so um you definitely want to try and get out during the week as opposed to the weekends um you know that that third weekend that fourth weekend that's when things uh, really cool off and then all of a sudden everyone disappears and and uh I, and you you don't know you know where they all went well, I, I would I
1: would imagine about that time, the rest of the states are starting to open their season up.
2: Yeah, well that that's that's a pain point for us um, here in South Florida, is because our season is actually out on an island like that. We open up uh, earlier than anybody else in the country. I think the only the only other state that opens earlier than us is Hawaii, and there's not a lot of folks who are going to travel to Hawaii to turkey hunt. But Florida's pretty accessible, so. You know, if if you want to come hunt uh, opening weekend South Florida, you can come here, hunt that opening weekend, get back home, have two, three more weeks to scout, and then be home in time for your opening weekend. So, yeah. so as you can imagine, we get we get hammered pretty hard um, that first and second weekend uh, with non non resident hunters. Going that's uh, late February that you guys open. Uh, no, it would be March first, first week in, uh, March, but I think it's the youth opens. Youth is last weekend of February.
1: Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. I noticed looking over your Instagram page, you seem to tag out pretty early there and in your Florida season. So I would imagine you know, you're jonesing pretty hard by the time third, third weekend rolls around. That's must be when you're moving off to Georgia and taking some trips somewhere else then. So
2: y- yeah, yeah, y- I've been fortunate over the last few years to tag out pretty early, and uh, yeah, it's allowed me to do a little bit of traveling and and get into some other opening weekends, like you know, for example, Georgia, North Carolina. So I have been able to to travel a little bit. I'm hoping I'm hoping to go uh, to Texas this year. So I'm just putting together a trip now um, to try and nice. get 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 my Rio because I've got. I've got my eastern. I've got my Osceola. I've, I've got my Miriam. So, so that, the, that the Rio's the missing link. That's kind of what I
1: was getting at. That, that you must have a little bit of experience with some easterns and some other subspecies.
2: Yeah. The, Actually, I had a really hard time with with easterns. It you know it took me three years to um, to tag an eastern finally. So sure. Um, so I struggled there with the, with your experience
1: are there any traits that you see different between say like an Eastern and an Osceola that, that, that uh, I would right- say,
2: uh, similar traits, uh, would be the gobble. I think is more, uh, uh sounds, uh, an Eastern gobble and an Osceola gobble sound very similar. Um, <laughs> whereas a Miriam gobble sounds very different. Um, the only thing I will say is that, the Osceola gobble gobble sounds a little shorter, even than the Eastern gobble, um, but Eastern is is I would say probably pretty loud, just probably based on their body size. But differences would be body size. Our our birds are really small um, compared to an Eastern, compared to a Miriam. Um, I've seen jakes in Nebraska that, that were bigger than, um, a full grown, uh, you know, bearded Osceola down here, especially as you get further Southern, uh, like to the Southern tip of, of, of Florida, um, the birds get smaller and smaller and smaller as you go. Sure. How how about as far as
1: their habits and stuff like that, you know, how, how they go about their business during the day? Do you find any similar similarities or something you could pick out that would-
2: well, Osceolas are, are kind of uh, notorious for being very quiet um, compared to the other birds, um, whereas in my experience, Miriam's were were really vocal. Um, I was kind of – I had a ball in Nebraska um, just based on that alone. Um, I We had birds gobbling at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, just gobbling their heads off. Um, it was – really great to just hear so much gobbling um because down here we you know we'll we'll get a bird that gets fired up for sure and he'll he'll gobble all morning um but it's more often that the birds are are quiet just based on um how much uh, predator predator pressure they experience um you know we think when we think about pressure we think that it's oh it's hunting season you know the birds are getting pressured but there are so many predators down here. It's it's hunting season all year for these birds, so um, they're very very shy to to gobble. We've we've got bobcats, panthers, bears, coyotes. Um, as you can imagine, uh, there's a lot of things down here uh, that want to eat a turkey. So, it's um, it's not great for them to to gobble too much. Um, so you will get often get birds that'll really gobble on the tree they'll they'll get fired up and you know they'll be af- af- gobble and gobble um for a, a while on the tree but once they hit the ground they may gobble once twice and that's it you'll you'll never hear them again for the entire day um but as i mentioned sometimes a bird will completely surprise you and he'll just get in a spot where he's comfortable and he'll just gobble and gobble and gobble and gobble you know i've heard birds just gobble for two hours um, just gobble their head off, um, but typically, as I said, very quiet bird, um, much longer legs, uh, than an eastern or Merriam's, um, mostly from walking in the water, um, uh, darker bird, uh, for sure, um, you'll see, especially as you get down further s- south in the state, they get darker and darker and you'll, you'll see the, the bands on their wings, um, the bars, the black bars will, will break up. They won't be stripes that run completely through the wing. Um, they'll almost be like tiger stripes of white through a black wing. Sure. Back to the gobbling. if you say they don't, they don't gobble.
1: You don't think as much as the other turkeys. Do you, do you think that, that affects their aggressiveness? Do you think they're, you know, on par with as far as coming to calling
2: Yeah. And and that's, I think, one of the things that makes them challenging for people is that they think that the bird's not there anymore or that the bird um, is gone or there is no birds here. Um, And that I think often um, people will make mistakes with that, whereas if you are able to spend the time scouting and spending time with them, you know they're still there um and they will still be as susceptible to calling as if they were gobbling a lot um so i feel like i can compare i can only compare my experience to my miriam's hunts in nebraska where those birds will talk to you the whole way in right there'll be a conversation you can you know then they you know you, you can hear them get further away and then you can make a decision to move you hear them get closer you, you know you can get ready um here that's probably not going to be the case maybe maybe 50% of the time you're going to have that um exchange going back and forth um but most of the time in my experience i'm going to hear him gobble i'm going to hear him gobble I'm going to hear them hit the ground. They'll gobble once, gobble twice. I'll call to them. If they respond to me and we're like connected, like I know about you, you know about me, chances are they're probably going to come unless I blow it somehow. Um, And how I could possibly blow it, I don't even know. And I won't even know unless I blow it, you know? (laughs) Until you do. It's like (laughs) – I might call too hard and that might spook them. I might try and get up and move another 20 feet closer and that might spook them. I might uh, not call enough and that might l- have them lose interest. So I'll never know, it, you know, that's the, right. the kind of- with with that, game that lose into. interest
1: thought. So, you know, are the hands the same? Are, are, do you find they're not very vocal neither or are they-
2: it's it's this. I would say it's the same kind of mix. It's it's unpredictable. You can get a hen that will like just cackle and go bonkers sometimes, and then other times you won't have any response from them at all. Sure. So yeah, it really kind of I don't know. It depends on their temperament. Depends on the mood. I find it often depends on the weather. Um, like if you've got like low pressure. You're really not going to hear a lot of birds. Um, right. They just really like bright, sunny days.
1: Right. And getting getting back to the the predator pressure you were talking about too. It and it makes sense that you know with all all the predators and whatnot down there, along with humans trying to eat them, that they wouldn't be as vocal. That maybe they have mm-hmm. their, maybe they have certain areas where they feel comfortable sounding off and and gobbling from. But you know, in the rest of the spots, it's like here I am over here. I hear you. And then he's going to go quiet while he while he sneaks in just because of the fact that if he's gobbling all the way to you, he's going to attract predators.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I'll often I would say more often hear him spit and drum um, when he when he's close to me, um, than I will him gobbling. So he'll and. You know, like I said, birds can be totally predictable, so it's also like misleading to get into these ideas that this is the way the bird's going to be but that being said most often a bird will gobble a hundred yards away and that'll be his last gobble and he'll just close the distance silently and then at that point I'll more most often just hear him spitting and drumming and that's what'll uh you know trigger me um you know like for example a bird I shot this year he never gobbled there was one way far off that I could hear um and I was calling to that one you know just kind of going at it kind of being a little aggressive and he was gobbling back at me gobbling back but he was way far and I could tell it was too far of a distance for him to come to me but I knew there were a lot of birds crossing through that area where I'd sat down. So I wasn't about to run to that bird. I was just sticking it out in my spot, just based on the confidence I'd had scouting. And sure enough, a bird comes in who'd never gobbled, silently. And the only thing I heard before I saw him was the spit. And I was like, where is he? Where is he? And I could just hear... I could just kept hearing the spit and I was like, where is he? Where is he? And that's the only thing that had me prepared or ready or had the gun up. Um, because had I not heard that he would have walked in on my right and I would have gone, Oh no. And swung right. around. And in that span of time, probably he would have booked it.
1: Right. Or, or he probably would have just picked you off with some movement or something that you were doing. Exactly. Cause you didn't think he was close.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, so I got a question, man. Um, so, you know, like you were saying, sometimes for the most part, they could be kind of tight-lipped. I imagine, you know, for a bird that only gobbles once or twice on the ground, a guy's got to kind of fall back on the scouting he he did earlier, right? That's kind of – I mean, I imagine if, if I knew the birds in my area were only going to gobble once or twice, I think I'd focus a little bit more on the areas with sign – Versus, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to go off off the gobbling, you know. Yeah,
2: because that uh, that's what that's where you're going to get caught up is that you're just going to be bumping birds if you're if you're thinking, you know, where are the birds? Let's go find the let's go find the gobbles. You're going to walk around and you're going to just stomp through birds, and you're never going to see those birds. You won't even know that you spook birds. You know, Um, especially here in Florida where the vegetation is thick. Um, we're, you know, we're not seeing birds from 200 yards away that we can creep up on that. That's a rare occasion. I mean, that can happen, but that that's not something that you can kind of a tactic you can rely on. Um, you know, you're probably not going to see that bird till you're within 50 yards of him. Um, but he's going to hear you when you're within hundred yards of him, right? He's going to hear the palmettos. He's going to hear things he doesn't like. And he's not going to wait to find out what it is. He's is. He's gone.
0: Yeah. So I was kind of thinking um, from the time that you started to where we're at now, I'm sure you've probably seen an increase in pressure, right? Has it been significant?
2: Yeah. Uh, an increase in pressure, uh, mostly non-resonant. Uh, yeah. increase um it feels like the pressure is the same more or less from the resident side um and again as i mentioned by that third fourth week it just drops off it's it, yeah. it's gone as, as long as those birds can make it through um you, there's a lot of hunting opportunities still left uh in that mid to late season right mm-hmm. Beck, um what are you doing for
1: mosquitoes down there
2: Uh, Mostly thermocell or like uh, do a little bit of bug spray, um, but uh, basically a thermocell. And I don't like to run it too long because it'll kind of bother me if I've got it on too long. So I'll basically click it on just at like first, first crack of light. And then uh, once the sun's kind of up, I'll I'll turn it off. But right at that dawn dusk, that's when it really gets nasty uh, in terms of mosquitoes. Um, but when it's, when it's, you know, dark out and when the sun's up, it's, it's tolerable. It's, it's really not bad. Sure.
0: Yeah. I'll use mine in the late season. Like if, uh, if I'm going to go do some like blind calling or something in a setup where I'm going to be there for a little bit, I'll, I'll bring the thermosel with me, but you're right. I do the same thing where I'll turn it off and on periodically. Cause I'm thinking, it can't be good for you to breathe this stuff in no way you
2: know? yeah no, like, I've, I've had them on too long and i've felt i've gotten like nauseous so oh for
0: sure yeah yeah, yeah. there's times
2: i'm yeah i didn't get nauseous but i started
0: getting kind of i don't know if lightheaded is the word but i was mm-hmm. just kind of like oh and then i was like you know what i'm turning this thing off you know <laughs> yeah
2: yeah no, you don't want to be breathing that too long so now if no. you're
1: if you're setting up your your thermocell, you know and there's a little bit of a breeze going are you just keeping it on you or are you setting it up upwind from you?
2: Uh no, I'm just keeping it, in it like in my vest in the back so it's not too close to my face. So I'll just like stick it on the back of me somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm. And that seems that I mean if there's a breeze, it's just not blowing, so you get mosquitoes coming from the way the breeze is coming from.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that can happen, but I I felt I feel like in the mornings particularly, uh, is the wind really dies. Uh, so it it isn't really such a factor. It's more like as the sun comes up, the wind picks up. Um, and then at that point the mosquitoes aren't too bad.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, what was it like hanging out with Steve, man? Good. It was, it was fun. I, that that was a great crew. I, I was, I was really nervous um, about having so many people, um, tromping around in the woods. Um, I was pretty freaked out about that. Um, I didn't know how we were going to kill birds with like multiple cameramen and like multiple hunters, like walking around as a pod, like through the woods. I was really anxious about that. Um, but I was kind of blown away even even uh after our first day um just the you know those camera guys they hunt um they they're they're very sensitive um to their presence um and they really know how to um be quiet and vanish um yeah i was really really blown away um and you didn't really get to see this so much in the show um, because ultimately in the end, it's like a, you know, it's like a 20 something minute um, episode. um, And there's hours and hours of footage. Um, But when, with the hunt that, um, when Yanni shot his bird um, that was uh, I think we clocked, we looked back at the footage and it was 50 minutes from when, We found those birds to when he shot. And so that's two guys leaning against a tree and two camera guys leaning against a tree in a flock of turkeys for 50 minutes. I'm talking like five yards, you know, some of them walking five yards in front of us. Um, And these birds didn't spook a few of them at some, you know, different points might've given us funny looks, but then just went back to feeding. Um, and it was, it was really remarkable. Like after that experience, I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not worried about these guys anymore. Like they're very, very tactful. So
1: it's a good thing. um,
2: It's a good thing. Turkeys can't smell. Oh yeah. (laughs) No, we would have definitely been in trouble, uh, if that were the case, but
0: yeah. So it sounds like his crew, his camera guys, you get some good dudes that know. Oh yeah.
2: No, every single one of those guys are absolute pros at what they do. Um, and, and really, I mean, that's, that's the only way you can get the kind of footage that he gets and capture that, um, capture that whole experience. Right. Um, doing a public land hunt, high pressure birds. I mean, just the spookiest animal you can imagine um and getting that type of footage um you know you can only do it with that with that type of crew and and you know just being with those guys you know they just love hunting they love fishing I and mean, like just super passionate about it um and uh yeah it was just it was just a great experience uh you know to be um you know in in turkey camp uh with with you know, that, that caliber of people who are that passionate about, uh, hunting and fishing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know
0: you mentioned earlier the, uh, back country hunters and anglers. Uh,
1: I am following that group. What, um, what do they do? What does what that organization? Uh, mostly,
2: uh, advocate like public land issues, access issues, habitat issues. Um, I would say mostly around public land, but also, a lot of R3 uh, involvement, just trying to get new hunters involved, get uh, youth involved and exposed to hunting. Um, but, but yeah, most, mostly public land-based uh, advocacy. I think I've been prompted
0: by that group uh, to fill out some, um, like, uh, forms and stuff to send off to politicians and stuff. Like, is that correct? That's kind of what the group
2: kind of does? Yeah. Oftentimes they'll have like uh, action alerts, depending on, you know, mm-hmm. if there's something that is going to get impacted by your, uh, you know, uh, your local representatives are going to be voting on something yeah. um, that would impact, uh, public lands, then we'd create action alerts to, to get you to kind of, uh, send a letter to your representatives. Cause really, I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's the only way anything gets done, um, in politics is, is really being the, you know, the squeaky wheel and, and having, um, you know, putting pressure, uh, on people, uh, to vote which way or, you know, what have you.
0: So I imagine like with most people, like, uh, where you live, that's, everybody's always kind of their favorite place to hunt. But, uh, Outside of Florida, from the places you've been to, where do you like? You just can't wait to go back.
2: Oof, uh, definitely Georgia. Um, you know, I've I've really uh, had a blast out there the last few years. Um, I'd I'd love to get back out west. I mean, I thought Nebraska was just. Uh, I just had a ball with. Again, I mentioned, but how vocal those birds were, it was, it's it's just fun um, to experience that. I, I remember one morning, and I, I'm not exaggerating, I, I probably heard 30 birds gobbling. Like it was just, it was ridiculous. Like I just could just hear, you know, very quiet morning, no wind at all, you know, very hilly landscape. We're up on top of a hill. And we could just hear them in every direction. Three birds over there, four over here, five behind, just like every direction we could hear them. And uh man, that was just such a treat because you could totally screw up a hunt and just be like, all right, let's just walk a quarter mile that way and start calling again, you know, like it was yeah. the the you know, here I think what makes it so challenging is is how much scouting I have to put into it um to get results but i'm it's also uh very fortunate that i'm able to because i live here and i can spend my weekends and i I do have areas that are close by to my house so i can get into the woods uh in the morning and then make it to work on time and just you know get to spots where i can listen and so that's all important when it comes down to season but when you get to a place like nebraska and you just show up and you're just hunting that day, you know. Um, it's it's certainly uh, a lot more fun to be like, to show up and just be in birds. And oh, then yeah. just see where that takes you, you know. So I, I'd probably say I'd, I'd love to get out west, back to Nebraska. Um, but I probably, I think this year, as I mentioned, I'll focus on Texas, try to get my Rio. Hopefully that works out. And then maybe next year try Nebraska again.
1: So just just going back over what you all what you just said there. I mean, with the ass with the Osceolos. Um, no, I just lost my train of thought. What was it? Whatever, it'll come back to me. I got this other one for <laughs> yeah. you. What, all right what, what are you using for footwear in the swamp?
2: Uh, it depends on how hot it is. Um, most of the time I'm wearing muck boots, um, for the most part, um, love them. They're seem like for me, the most comfortable and the most durable. I haven't gone through many of them. Um, so muck boots are kind of my go-to. Um, but if it's very hot, um, I have wading boots that I wear, um, and I just kind of succumb to, um, getting my feet wet and just walking through water and it's also kind of a relief because sometimes in, in higher water years, um, you might want to cross through a swamp and you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to fill your muck boots with water. Uh, so you might be forced to go around somewhere where, you you're, you know, it's not the, the direct uh, line you'd like to take. So with the wading boots, it's a little nicer. You can just be like, I'm going through that swamp and I don't care. You know, go through knee deep uh doesn't matter to me um but that that that's kind of like my difference like deer season i'm in the wading boots the whole season uh long wading boots um, you're, it's all you're talking hip boots then uh wh- or, ju- wh- or just wh- a just an ankle a,
1: a, a hip wader yeah just an
2: ankle just something it's got holes in it that just drain so my feet are just wet
1: so it'd be a wading shoe you'd put over like a knee-pring sock on a on a pair of knee-pring yeah, waders exactly. or something
2: Exactly, gotcha. yeah, yeah, just without without the sock,
1: all right, gotcha. I figured out what I was gonna get back to, um as far as you were hearing all them turkeys in in Nebraska and whatnot, so then I'm guessing you're not seeing that down in Florida where the the densities of the turkeys you know they're not you know spread out across the landscape they're they're gonna be in pockets of here, and then two miles away, three miles away, five miles away, you'll find another pocket of birds. Is, it, is that- I think so. Yeah,
2: yeah. That, that's what I found. I find, I find a whole lot of areas, a lot more areas without turkeys than I do with turkeys. Sure. So yeah. I so, find most most of my scouting is crossing things off the list, as opposed to like putting things in the rolodex. So it'd be like it's you know, just it'd be similar scratching. to scratching. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: It would. It'd be similar. I was
2: it's <laughs> scratching things off my list is. is uh, what I'm doing more of. Sure. So it,
1: it'd be similar, similar to me when I'm hunting big woods in, in Northern Minnesota, you know, where birds are here. And then you might have to go five, 10 miles, you know, to find the next flock. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 I mean, it, and there's a lot of, you know, when I first started hunting, there's a lot of hardwoods up there in certain areas. And I was like, just chomping at the bit and I'm running around all these big hardwood forests and I ain't seeing or hearing any turkeys in it. And it, took me a while to figure out well in the middle of them hardwoods is probably a good spot for them in the fall but in the spring they're looking for a little different habitat to hang out in mm-hmm. so
2: it- yeah people can get tripped up on that here too with a, like i mentioned with our wet season dry season you might be in an area where you deer hunted that year and, and you saw a whole bunch of turkeys and you're like oh i'm gonna come back here because there's turkeys here and you show up and those water levels are completely different and those birds have moved off to somewhere else and you're like, you know, where where did these turkeys go? They were all here during during deer season. Um and same thing same exact thing with the deer. Like I've I've been in areas during turkey season where I see a whole bunch of deer and then I come back there during deer season and I can't find any. So, you know, that those water levels will will kind of change uh where the they like to to be and hang out.
1: Sure. And then You know, it just come to me as far as acorns. Do you find the turkeys down there are keen on acorns? You know, I mean, during the springtime, it's got to be fairly warm down there yet. And I'm under the impression that acorns are a high energy food for turkeys. And they shy away from it when the temperatures get warmer because they can't regulate their body temperature. And if they eat, you know, high energy foods like that, they have a tendency to overheat possibly. Do you find you know turkeys are a big key they're key in on turkey or on acorns like they do with a little further south you know where it gets a little cooler in the winter and whatnot
2: i i find they're they're more uh they eat a lot of berries we've got a lot of um berry type plants uh that bear a uh, little fruit and um I find that they're more, uh, stick to those types of, uh, food rather than acorns. I'm sure they're eating acorns, but our, our acorns are like falling now, uh, basically like now's really our, our acorns are dropping. Um, so I think by turkey season, they're all either eaten up or, uh, you know, harder to find, but
1: there's probably um, not the shelf life on them either. is they do in the colder climates during the winter and the fall up here, I would, I would imagine. So they're probably going bad faster too.
2: Probably. Yeah. Right. Um, but I would say, yeah, mostly, mostly berries and, uh, believe it or not, we, I've busted a lot a lot of birds out of, um, a sable palm, uh, then a sable palm, uh, also called the cabbage palm is a taller palm tree and, uh, has, little uh dark colored berries and uh the turkeys will jump up in them and i busted a lot of birds out of those trees they're just up in the crown picking those berries sure.
0: well richard i gotta say you definitely sound like a uh, florida expert <laughs>
1: uh, I one, know when I learned. one more question for you richard e-bike or no e-bike e-bike uh
2: i i do ha- yeah i do have an e-bike uh i don't use it really for turkey hunting though um i find that um i could be in a spot that i started at that morning that might be four miles away from where i began um so then having to get back to the bike could be an issue so for turkey season specifically i've shy away from the e-bike um i also have picked up a lot more walking and staring at the ground um during turkey season um as opposed to riding fast. Um, you just pick up on a lot more sign um if you're just staring at the ground, looking at tracks, looking at scratching, finding strut marks in the sand. Um, but um, for example, like a, a small game hunting, um, I utilize, uh, the e-bike a lot, hog hunting. I'll utilize the e-bike a lot. Um, we've got a lot of fire breaks down here that are perfect for, um, you know, getting down, you know, two miles, uh, pretty quick on an e-bike. So, you, so yeah, are, not for turkey hunting, but for other seasons. Yes.
1: Are you using a mid drive or a rear hub?
2: Uh, it's a rear hub. Rear hub? Yeah. I've got the, the rad Rover, I forget which number. All
1: right. Is it a fat tire? Yeah, that that does pretty well on the sand. Then I would imagine.
2: Yeah, yeah, it does does pretty well. I haven't really had any issues with it. I try to keep it as dry as possible. Um, you know, I've got some friends who do who will run them uh, through a little bit of water, um, but I haven't been as brave. I've also got a buddy. He um, he carries a giant styrofoam block on the back of his e bike. And what he'll do is he puts it up under the e-bike and straps it and will basically float his e-bike through like deep water. if He's got to cross through an area and then get to the other side, take the block off and put it in the back (laughs) to keep it out of water. Dude, that's a level of like (laughs) commitment and
0: intense that like I would just kind of get to that and be like, well – Bike stay oh, well.
1: in here. Yeah, <laughs> Can you yeah just leave yeah.
2: the bike there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I would, the bike, all the way across it and then, you know, get back on it on the other side. For sure. Yeah, I would try to
0: canoe it or or, or wait it past that part. and But then that's the sort of thing where I would think, well, I'm going to hit that, so – maybe just don't even get a bike because then that's going to happen and you know, I'm, I'm better off just dealing with the walking but me and paul we're thinking about getting some i mainly want one for uh going out west because uh i know you know i haven't done nebraska but i've done uh, uh south dakota and wyoming and it was uh Lots of walking, man. Lots and Mm -hmm. lots, lots of walking. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking a bike would be really nice for that. And then we, but we also have some areas like uh, Northern Minnesota is like huge, big woods and flat, flat flatish. And then Central Wisconsin's kind of the same way a little bit. So we were kind of thinking getting us some e-bikes would kind of be beneficial to help us, you know, get three miles into an area, hunt that spot, and get right back out you
1: know another reason i'm thinking about it for northern minnesota is they got road restrictions on up there when the during turkey season they close down all the forest state state state-owned forest roads they close them down because the frost the frost is coming out of the ground and the the ground is all soggy and squishy so they don't want people driving atvs and stuff up and down and their trucks up and down the road so they they'll put a sign saying this this forest road is closed until further notice, and they'll put them all over yeah, northern great. northern Minnesota. It's great because it keeps the people out. Uh huh. But then, if you get somebody like my dad or somebody who doesn't get around very very well, you know,
2: it limits yeah it limits where you can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's one of my tactics too. That it's just trying to get further than someone else would be willing to go so i'll always try and push that a little bit and just see if i can get away from people by going as deep as possible sure sure well uh i know
0: paul i know you said uh that was your last question
1: yeah i was just going to comment on his paintings is all i was doing i I seen your painting paintings on the um on your instagram account they were pretty good The couple of landscapes yeah
2: yeah, I wish I, I wish I had more time. Yeah, work, work and hunting always getting away. I kind of
1: I kind of sure. dabbled in in some painting when I was younger a little bit, but like you say,
2: I can't I can't pull the time for it, you know. Yeah, I just can't find the time for. I probably make like one painting a year, but All right, yeah, right. I do what I can. All right, is
0: that like uh, was that oils or like acrylics or what was? It's that?
2: acrylic. Yeah, yeah, I. I I think oil looks better, but I can't stand being in a room with oil paint, so you know, I <laughs> so I paint an acrylic. I think, so it, I, can I
1: think you can get more detail out of an acrylic, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it depends, but I, yeah, like I said, I think the color, I like the colors on oil right. better, but just for, for breathing and working with them, I, I like acrylics. Sure. Well, I like working with
0: acrylics. Cause I think they're a little easier to use. Mm. And uh, I applaud you on that landscape stuff. Cause I know that landscape stuff's hard to kind of paint, you know, cause you're, mm-hmm. you're looking at a bush and you're just like, how do I break this bush down mm-hmm. into, you know, into a painting? Like what yeah. do I do? You know, it's yeah. like, do I do each and every tiny little strand of, grass that's in the way or whatever and mm-hmm. you got to figure all that stuff out that's something
1: you, know? you could get away with the acrylics a lot but i don't think yeah. oil paint is more of kind of a blend you know yeah. step mm-hmm. back and everything blends in and it looks but you get up close then you can see the the smattering and stuff yeah. like that where the acrylics you can get real up close to it and you, you can see the fine detail in it and everything so
2: yeah but, yeah it's a tough it's a tough balance because like you said it's like you can't possibly sit there and paint every leaf, yeah. right? But you also can't, like, just make blobs of everything all the time. So it's like... then it this... just looks blob, yeah. 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 So you have to, like, find this, like, in-between world where you've just indicated enough that your brain will do the rest. Right,
0: yep, right, yep. And that was the uh, Bob Ross hour on. Yeah, there you go. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> happy happy little trees. Yeah,
1: happy trees. Well, cool, right? man.
0: Uh, yeah, man. Uh, thanks a ton for coming on here and you know Absolutely. doing this thanks podcast with us. Right. Yeah, for sure. Right. Enjoyed it. And I do want to mention it just because that's what intrigued me was uh, we saw the old gobbler patch on mm-hmm. your vest. That's the old gobbler right. form, and I know I was just watching it. Um, shoot, man, I think I was just eating cereal or something, just watching in the morning, and then uh, I was like, that's an old gobbler patch. I think I got the same one.
2: Yeah, I, I had I a whole bunch of people hit me up on Instagram like, hey, where'd you get that patch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. They got some cool patches, right. man. They got oh,
0: yeah. some cool I, ones.
1: I, I know, Paul,
0: you do a giveaway, don't right,
1: you? Right. I usually buy a couple every spring, but I don't I don't use them. I ended up... Cause it's always a mad rush at the beginning when he when he first lets them out, so everybody snatches them uh-huh. up right away. And then later on in the season, he's like, "Anybody got any gobbler patches? Old gobbler patches." So I usually got two or three or whatever sitting in my back That's pocket, cool. and I'll I'll give them away, you know, in May or something like that to, to whoever wants one. Nice. All right. This is it,
2: right? There it is. Yeah. Yep. Okay. yep. Cool.
0: That's a good one. All right, man. Well, uh, like I was saying, man, thanks a ton for doing this.
2: Um, Absolutely.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. All right, Richard. Well, you have a good one, man. It was nice chatting with you. you yeah, too. thanks, a lot, thanks
1: Richard.
2: guys. Yep.
1: Thank you for listening to the Off the Roost podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Off the roost Calls and Cooley Creek Custom Calls as well as on TikTok at off the roost Pod. Stay tuned for future episodes, where we'll try to keep you informed on the latest in turkey hunting and try to remember the heritage surrounding the elusive and sometimes mystical animal that is the wild turkey.